Thank you so much. It's a great privilege to be here in Hull and with Jared and his family and uh, to meet so many members of the church. It's always a privilege. And um, uh, for those of you who don't know, Jared is very respected all over this nation. So I hope you appreciate him. <laughs> and he's ministered in our church and been a great blessing. Praise the Lord. Whoa, I can see what the Bible says. Uh, will you stretch your hands towards me? Just pray for me um, as I pray over this message. Father, in Jesus' name, I just want to thank you for the privilege of being here. I just thank you for your presence, your anointing, your power. Thank you for working here in a powerful way. And thank you for working back home in New Life in Wembley. Uh, just building your church there and building your church here. So, Lord, I ask for your presence, your anointing, your power to continue, impact our lives, speak into our lives, do what only you can do, and uh, draw us closer, higher, and deeper to you as a result of hearing this message today. Thank you, Lord, for all you will do. I declare the enemies bound, the people are loosed in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, that your angels are here, your presence is here, and your power is here in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Uh, a few years ago, I think it was <clears throat> 2011, I was ministering up in Hollybush, and then I think I came down here. Yeah. And when I went to Hollybush, uh, the Lord gave me a new message, and I'm preaching a similar message here today. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, the, this message has really impacted me. And tell the person next to you, this message is for you. And just tell someone else, this message could change your life. <laughs> and uh, I know the enemy doesn't like this message because as I was preparing it I, I, uh, and about to minister it in Hollybush, I was as sick as a dog. I could not sleep at night. I was so ill. And in the morning, uh, I was stayed overnight. I was meant to preach there in the evening. I, I was so weak and so tired, uh, I couldn't even read my Bible. I was going to teach them about prayer in the evening, and I couldn't pray. I was just completely deadpan, listless, lifeless. And I just sat on the couch, and uh, I was hoping I'd fall asleep because I hadn't slept much at night. And, uh, you know, in those moments, you begin to reach out to God because you know he can do something. Yeah. Yeah. And I began to reach out. All I had the energy to do was put my mobile phone on and listen to the Bible. So I sat there for two or three or four hours just letting the Bible play on audio. And slowly strength came into my body. And uh, I still didn't know if I could preach that night. So it was snowing outside. It was very icy. Uh, and I got up and got dressed and thought, by faith, let's go for a walk. I didn't feel like going out into the cold. I began to walk around. I went into the hall where I was going to preach, which was empty. And I began to ask the Lord to use me that night. And when I got into the pulpit, I was 100% healed. Wow. Isn't God good? Yeah. Amen. You know, whenever you take a step of faith towards God, His power will touch you. And you'll never be the same again. You know, um, I, I shared that uh, I'm a mixture of Danish, French, Portuguese, and Indian. And I've got a bit of Scottish blood <laughs> in me as well. And um, I did some of my education in some of the European schools in India. And I remember being nine years old. <clears throat> my parents had sent me to boarding school. I I'm an only child. 
And I was missing my parents so much that I used to go away from all the boys. It was a boys' school, 200 boys, boarding school, in the mountains in a place called Mount Abu in India. Such a beautiful place. You get up in the morning, you're surrounded by mountains, there's valleys. Some of them look like a mile deep. Uh, it's just a beautiful place. And uh, I had just arrived in boarding school. I was distraught, nine years old, not knowing to make, uh, what to make of my emotions. And I found this little hill, and I climbed into it, and it was sort of concave. And I sat in it, and I was looking over the mountains. You know, uh, you could look down. You saw a winding road where uh, you caught the car to come from the train up to the school. It was 18 miles. And I was looking down over this and crying and missing my mom and dad. And uh, I just, uh, you know, I didn't really know God. I wasn't born again, but I had this kind of uh, general belief in God. I was a nominal Christian. And as I was looking down the mountains, in the distance, I saw a gray car. And my dad was a military officer. He was a thousand miles away. In boarding school, you were lucky if your parents visited you three times over nine months. I just arrived there. I saw a great car in the distance. And I, as I was weeping, I pointed at that great car and I said, please, God, let my daddy be in that car. And uh, most cars just never came anywhere near the school because we were quite high up. Uh, they would go into the main town. And uh, about 15 minutes later, a great car pulled into the school. And the door opened and my dad stepped out. And I ran over and hugged him and he hugged me. I wiped my eyes, you know, because uh, when we were brought up, uh, boys don't cry, eh? <laughs> they do. Uh, but that's what I was taught. I didn't want my dad to see me crying. But that's my first memory of, of an answered prayer from God. I didn't know that one day I would have the privilege of traveling around the world, literally, and going up and down this nation, teaching on this subject of prayer. So it's a great privilege uh, to teach on the subject this morning. Now, you know, they asked a great man of God. He was an Englishman from the Midlands. They asked him, uh, what's the secret of your success? It seems like whenever you get up to minister, the Holy Ghost shows up. The presence of God is there. The power of God is there. And they asked him, uh, what is the secret of your success? And uh, he looked at them and he said, much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, and he smiled. And uh, it was actually my friend Doug Williams that told me that this man of God said that. And I had the privilege of meeting him before he passed away. And I said, I've been quoting you for years. Is it, is it true that you said this? And he said, yes, it is true. Much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer. No power. Wherever you look, in your life, in your marriage, in your home, in your church, in your city, in your nation, wherever there's little prayer, you will see very little Holy Spirit activity. And wherever there's much prayer, you will see the moving of God. I'm going to read from 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 1. 2 Chronicles 7 and verse 1. When Solomon had finished praying... Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of God because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and praised God saying, for he is good. 
for his mercy endures forever. And then in verse 12, then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place uh, for myself to be a house of sacrifice. And when I shut up heaven and there's no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among the people, if my people, that's this well-known passage, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then from heaven will I hear, forgive them their sin and heal their land. You know, what I find remarkable about this passage when I first read it, it said in the previous chapter, you see something of the prayer of Solomon. And you can read it. And it said, when he had finished praying, fire came down from heaven. So this is the picture I get in my imagination. Solomon's praying and like God's waiting. And as soon as he finishes praying, something actually leaves heaven and comes down to earth. It says, as a result of his prayer, fire came down from heaven. And uh, that fire that was in heaven was suddenly on the earth, and it was coming as a response to prayer. And then the glory of the Lord filled the temple, etc., and they couldn't even stand. I long to see that these days, don't you? I want to see it in Wembley. I want to see it in Hull. I want to see it all over the country where the glory of the Lord comes down to such a degree and uh, that he does things amongst us that we just dream about. Uh, And I want to say today, I believe these things happen as a result of much prayer. And where there's little prayer or no prayer, you don't see much happening. It's a sad statistic about Great Britain that 60% of the churches in Britain do not have a prayer meeting. Isn't that sad? 60% right across the board of churches in Britain do not have a prayer meeting. So we've got churches where there's no Holy Spirit activity at all. I remember the dismay of our, I was up in a a seminar in Nantwich and there was about 40, 50 ministers there. And uh, one of them was a Korean minister. And he uh, was telling me, he said he went into a Presbyterian church and he looked at me with dismay. He said, God wasn't there. He said there were only a few people. So I asked him a question, you know. I said, uh, tell me about your church in Korea. He said, well, my father was a pastor. And he said, I'm the pastor now, but it's not the same. I said, how many people you've got? He said, only 800. I thought, oh, you poor fellow. You come, to, come to Britain, that's good. He said, only 800. I said, Really? I said, but you Koreans have a reputation for prayer. You pray early morning. He said, yeah, we pray early morning. I said, what time? He said, five o'clock. I said, how many people come to the prayer meeting? He said, only 500. (laughs) Only 500. And when he, I asked him a few more questions. He said, I said, tell me about your church. He said, "Uh, we start the service at 11. He said, at nine o'clock, people start coming and they start praying. He said, by 10 o'clock, the presence of God is in the room. I'm paraphrasing his words. He said, by 11 o'clock, God is there and we start worshiping him. They're talking, you see, there's degrees of the presence of God. There's his omnipresence, which is everywhere. But there's his manifest presence where it's tangible and it's amongst you. And that's what we're looking for. Uh, And this guy really made me think, you know, 
He said he went into a church and he went into the service and God was not there. Isn't that incredible? You know, uh, I heard this story a few years ago. I was up in the Midlands and there was this team that had come from the U.S. And they were actually teaching on prayer. And there was a young preacher, and I never forget what he said. He um, traveled with a world-famous preacher. This guy was known all over the world. He died a few years ago. Very powerful man of God. He traveled with him, and he prayed for him. He was one of his intercessors. And he told the story how they were at a meeting once, a healing meeting, where his spiritual father was ministering. And... Uh, he was sitting in the meeting and there was a lady in a wheelchair and he looked over at her and he said, the Holy Spirit said, pray for her. So he began to pray for this lady in the wheelchair. She came forward, was prayed for, nothing happened. She didn't get healed and she went back to her place. He said the next morning, early in the morning, God woke him up and he was interceding. He was told to pray for two hours for this lady. So for two hours, he prayed and interceded for the lady in the wheelchair. He came to the meeting in the evening. She came forward for prayer. She was prayed for, but she didn't get healed. She went for back to her seat. The next morning, he was hoping he'd get some sleep, but the Holy Spirit woke him up again and said, pray for that lady. And he said he prayed for one and a half hours in tongues for that lady. And he came to the meeting that evening and he said, as he was sitting in the meeting, suddenly a cloud of God's glory came into the room. You know, God's, God's glory clouds, they come through the wall. They don't come through the main door. And this cloud of God's glory, just like we read with Solomon, it just came through the wall and it started going around the room. It went all the way around the room and it settled on the lady with the wheelchair and she jumped up and she was healed. And when she jumped up and she was healed, the Holy Spirit said to him, if you hadn't prayed, that wouldn't have happened. It's just an illustration of much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. Wherever you look in your life, in your marriage, in your home, in your church, in your city, and in the nation. You know, I just want to tell you one more story of a good friend of mine. He told me this. He's an evangelist, an English evangelist. He's extrovert, he's very confident, he has a great knowledge of the Bible, sound theological mind. And he went somewhere to preach. He was invited somewhere to preach at a youth convention. And when he got there, to his dismay, most of the youth uh, were from the community uh, and they were unsaved. They didn't know Christ. And they looked like they'd come to cause trouble. So he got up to preach the first night. And he preached his heart out. He said they didn't pay much attention. Some of them walked around. They were being disrespectful. He tried everything that he knew with his personality, with his anointing, with his experience to try and still the meeting, but he was unsuccessful. He went home that night very discouraged because he had not had an impact upon those youths. He said the next morning he got up really early, six o'clock, he got a friend. They found a place, secluded place somewhere. And they prayed from 6 o'clock in the morning to 6 o'clock in the evening. He said, we cried out so loud, they found it like a shed somewhere in a field. We cried out so loud that the local farmer came to see what was happening. 
We cried out from our guts and we prayed from six o'clock in the morning to six o'clock in the evening. That evening he went to the second meeting. It seemed like the kids were meaner and uglier and more muscular and they'd come to cause trouble. And they were looking around the room and uh, he got up to preach. As he got up to preach, one of the youth was trying something, but there seemed to be uh, invisible ushers in the room. And they were stilled. And they listened to every word he said. When he finished preaching, a lot of the youth were the same youth that had been there the previous day. When he gave the altar call, many of them came forward weeping and they gave their lives to Christ. So what was the difference between the first evening and the second evening? Much prayer. Wouldn't you agree? That playing, praying from 6 o'clock in the morning to 6 o'clock at night is much prayer. You know, just have a look at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 4 and 5. Just want to read this out to you. 1 Peter 2 verses 4 and 5. It says, coming to him as to a living stone. Rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. You know, in the Old Testament, as we know, they offered up different types of sacrifices, lambs and, and bulls and goats and and turtle doves, and they, they had different sacrifices for different things that were offerings for sin. Aren't you glad today that you don't have to bring a big bull here and, and slaughter it? Because Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And anyone who has faith in him uh, is forgiven, receives a new nature, and comes into a living relationship with the living God. And... Uh, these days, we are not called to offer up animal sacrifices because when Jesus died on the cross, he was the ultimate sacrifice to end all those Old Testament sacrifices and they're no longer required. But we are called in this uh, dispensation to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Yeah. A sacrifice is something that costs you something. Yeah. Yeah. And we offer up spiritual sacrifices and these uh, spiritual sacrifices are sacrifices of prayer sacrifices of praise, sacrifices of worship and intercession and fasting and biblical giving and more. We offer up sacrifices. The amazing thing about a sacrifice is that when the sacrifice goes up to heaven, a response comes down. That's why when Solomon prayed, a response came. Let's have a look at the same thing happening in the New Testament. Let's go to Acts chapter 2, that well-known scripture in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. You know, I must be an old-fashioned preacher, but I like the rustling of the pages of scriptures. But these days there's iPods and iPods and mobile phones, and uh, I'm sure you're getting there. One, Acts, <laughs> thank you, Jared. <laughs> Acts chapter 2. I read this hundreds of times. Let's listen to it again. Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Wow! Here they are on the earth. And they, I take this literally. They're sitting on the earth. They've just been in a prayer meeting. 120 of them have been praying for 10 days. Wouldn't you agree that's much prayer? 
120 people praying, gathered in one place, uh, praying for 10 days. And at the end of that, suddenly they hear a sound, but this is not a sound that's coming from the earth. It's coming from heaven. It's a sound of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. I'd imagine it was quite noisy if it happened here. It would shake the room up. And then they appeared to them, divided tongues as a fire. And sat upon each one of them. And they were all, all 121 of them, filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They rushed out on the road, preached the gospel, and 3,000 people who were not in the kingdom of God came into the kingdom of God. And I just want to point out to you that that didn't happen in isolation. It happened out of much prayer. Amen. You know, they went to find a man in Northern Ireland. He was quite elderly. His name was John McEwen. Has anybody heard of John McEwen? Yeah? John McEwen, uh, he went, I think, in the 30s or 40s as a missionary to Ghana. He was a Scotsman. And he went with his wife to Ghana, West Africa. They took on, they wore Ghanaian clothes and they identified with the locals. And he began to plant churches. And when he left uh, Ghana many years ago, before he retired in Northern Ireland, they found him and they said, you must write a book. He said, "Uh, but I haven't done very much. He said, oh, yes, you have. Because when he left Ghana, he had planted 3,000 churches. Very humble man. And those churches were called Church of Pentecost. I've driven across Ghana. Everywhere you go, Church of Pentecost, Church of Pentecost, Church of Pentecost. Because a Scotsman left this this territory and went out there. That 3,000 grew to 5,000, 6,000, 8,000. They split. And there was two lots of 5,000. And it continues to grow. And so when I meet a man of God or hear about a great man of God like that, I like to know about their prayer life. I like to know if they had a good prayer life. I was sitting next to a well-known minister on a plane coming back from Israel. About 40 AOG ministers went there. And I was a young minister. And I wanted to know more about how to be an effective minister. So I sat next to this guy. I said, when do you get up? When do you pray? How long do you pray for? Do you read your Bible? Do you drink tea or coffee in the morning? (laughs) He was totally worn out. He needed another holiday when he came back. I didn't let him sleep on the plane. I wanted to learn all I could learn from him. I asked him how long he prayed and everything. And so I wanted to know about John McEwen. I met a couple of ministers from the Church of Pentecost. And I turned to them and I, I, I said, John McEwen, was he a man of prayer? And they kind of smiled at me. They said his slogan was, prayer is the work and the work is prayer. Do you know, prayer can be relational and it's meant to be. Prayer involves spiritual warfare, it involves petition, but it also sometimes is hard work. Prayer is the primary work of the kingdom. When 120 people pray for 10 days, it's hard work and God shows up in response to it. Wherever you look, where there's much prayer, there will be a response from heaven. Amen? I remember the time when uh, my daughter had a severe problem. She had an incurable illness. She must have been about 10 years old. My youngest daughter, Sarah. She's now married with two children and she's 33 years old. It was a family crisis. 
She couldn't go to school. It was a problem. We tried everything. We prayed. And uh, it was a long story, which I won't go into. And uh, all our efforts, we took her to three ministers for deliverance, for prayer, for counsel. Even took her to a psychologist to try and get a heal of this incurable ailment. And all the time we were praying. My wife fasted nine days on water only. And the second time she fasted for 13 days because my daughter was healed. And then the problem came back again, which is not unusual. And uh, she fasted a second time for 13 days on water. I saw her getting tenor and tenor and tenor before my eyes. Just drinking water for 13 days. I fasted a day here and a day there. And we saw God completely heal and deliver my daughter. And she's been healed all these years of that incurable ailment. But during that period, I was looking for a school for Sarah. You know, in our area, I didn't really know uh, the configuration of schools. I, I, I visited her school during this crisis and I looked at it and I thought, oh, no, I don't really like the school. I want to move her into a better school. But I didn't know, uh, you know, any school in the area that was better. So I remember one night, I just went into my front room and I just started praying. It was 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 6. The sun came up around 6, must have been the summer. And I'd been praying all night. I may have dozed off a couple of times for a few minutes here and a few minutes there, but I was desperate and I wanted to get before God. And I said, I want a good school for my daughter. And I told Sarah, because she wasn't able to go to school during that period, come on, Sarah, let's go. We're going to look for a school. So literally, you know, those days, no iPhones, no texts. You know, these days you just say, schools in Harrow. And say, blah, 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 call, website, headmistress, everything. You know, but those, in those days we didn't have all that. So it was just drive and look. And I really didn't know where I was going. And so I, I get into the car and my first thought is go and visit your good friend Rick Johnston. He's a fellow minister in our area, American guy. So I go through the door. And as I'm going through the door, another minister comes out from the door, another pastor who I knew. And had I gone there one minute later, I thought in retrospect, I wouldn't have met this guy. And I said to him, I'm looking for a good school for my daughter. And uh, do you know of any good schools? He said, yeah, there's a good school just down the road, five or six miles. It's a Christian school. I said, Christian school? I didn't know there were any Christian schools in Brent. So he said, uh, I said, okay, thank you. And I got into the car, I got there, I took some of uh, Sarah's kind of CV, as it were, uh, educational records, and I arrived at the school. I went to the reception desk, and I said, could I see the headmistress, please? He said, have you got an appointment? I said, no. But she's very busy, I'll make an appointment for you for next week. And as she said that, the door opened and the headmistress came out and said, what does he want? He said, he wants to see you. She said, I'll see him now. And I went into the room, and I'm not exaggerating. The presence of God came into the room. Come on. Was it connected to the fact that I'd spent the whole night in prayer? I'm sure it was. Yeah. And she just loved Sarah. I believe there was a waiting list for that school. She just loved Sarah. She said, Sarah, I like you. And she, she accepted her into the school. Much prayer, much power, even to change people's minds, to influence them. Amen. Wherever you look in your individual life, if there's no prayer or little prayer, you will be a frustrated Christian 
because what you'll be experiencing is so minimal. Yeah. You know, much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. You're never going to forget this message, are you? <laughs> if I see you in eternity in a million years' time, I say, do you remember that message I preached in hell? Oh, yeah, we remember that, Pastor Ian. <laughs> much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, and he smiled. <laughs> you know, uh, I went to a Bible school, a missionary Bible school. Oh, boy, look at the time. I went to a missionary Bible school. And uh, Jean and Elma Darnell. And they were a great influence on my life and worked closely with them. And Jean Darnell was mentored by Amy Semple McPherson. There's a lot of things that were said about her, and some of them were not true. Hollywood even made a movie about her. Once Billy Graham said something about Amy Semple McPherson, and Jean Darnell wrote to him and said, what you said about her is not true, and she got a letter of apology from Billy Graham. And they were there when the miracles were taking place, when the whole section where there'd be wheelchairs and crutches and where hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people were saved. She was a woman ahead of her time. She pioneered the four-square denomination with signs and wonders and miracles, and she was a woman of prayer. They interviewed her son once, just recently, and they asked him, you were around your mom during that period when so many wonderful things happened. What was the greatest miracle you ever saw? And she'd seen some miracles. He said, well, we were driving from one place in America to the other. You know how big America is. In those days, no MOT tests. You know, you could even drive without a, a spare wheel. And they weren't AA and RAC and petrol pumps all over the place. They were driving a long distance and suddenly one of the tires blew. And they were stranded in the midst of Nowhere, no mobile phones, no petrol, no one to phone to come and fix the tire. And they got out of the car and this boy said to his mom, what are we going to do? She said, we're going to pray. And she got out and she laid her hands on the tire and whoosh, the tire filled up with air. He said, that was the greatest miracle I ever saw. But isn't it strange how miracles happen to people who pray a lot? Yeah. Amen. Much prayer, much power. Wherever you look, even in the life of Jesus, as you look at the life of Jesus, you see him going aside to pray. You look at 2 Chronicles chapter 15. You see them going aside to pray. You look at 2 Chronicles 20 with Jehoshaphat. And before they strategized and got uh, you know, instructions from the Lord to take the musicians out. They fasted and prayed. He called the whole of Judah, the whole nation to fast and pray. And that is much prayer. And look what happened in the wake of it. Wherever you look in the Bible, you look at the book of Esther. That's the closest Satan ever got to annihilating the Jews. He tried it with Hitler. But the closest he ever got was in the days of Esther. But what did Esther do? Alongside Mordecai, she fasted and prayed with her handmaidens. And they agreed that the, all the Jewish people right across that region would fast and pray. While Haman, the demonized man, had a plan to kill all the Jews. And he was very close to achieving it. They engaged in much prayer. The word prayer is not mentioned in the book of Esther, but prayer and fasting go together like fish and chips. 
like curry and rice, like roast beef and Yorkshire pudding. I hope I'm not making you hungry. But there's some things that just go together. And wherever you see fasting, there's prayer. Prayer and fasting go together. I cannot begin to share the victories we have experienced through fasting and prayer. It's a mighty atomic weapon that has been given to the church. In the book of Joel, wherever you look, Argentinian revival. I know a guy who was in the Argentinian revival in the 80s. A million people came to know Christ. If you know the story behind it, the Holy Spirit came on a group of students and they started praying. Many of them had never prayed even 15 minutes a day. And the Holy Spirit came down upon this Bible school and the spirit of prayer came on them. And that the man who was there, he said, some students would be leaning against a wall like this and they'd be praying in tongues for eight hours because the spirit of prayer had come upon them. And when they stopped, there was puddles on the floor as their tears hit the floor. And this happened for about six weeks. They prayed. This is in the 80s. They prayed and prayed and prayed as the Holy Spirit led them in prayer. And after six weeks, suddenly the prayer stopped. And they said this, that in those days we never understood these things. But the prophecy that came was now has the Prince of Argentina been brought down. And revival swept the land. Amen. I could go on, but time is gone. Let's stand together. Can I just say this? Please listen carefully. The most important place where we engage in prayer is in our personal prayer. It's hard to motivate people in corporate prayer who don't have a personal prayer life. I just want to challenge you today to make a commitment to daily prayer on your own. Let's look to see family prayer developed. And let's engage in corporate prayer in our churches. In this church, there's a call to prayer from the leaders, 21 days. I tell you what, you'll be sowing into your future when you pray and fast. And things will be released in the Spirit that you will enjoy for years to come. Because you sowed into the Spirit and you will reap. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's just... Lift our hearts to the Lord. Lift our hands to the Lord. Just ask the Holy Spirit to just give you an ongoing revelation and quicken you in prayer so that you will become a person of much prayer. Let's make that commitment to Him. We're going to say, make a declaration right now. And if you want to declare, it's basically asking God to just forgive us for the times we've neglected prayer. And then ask Him for His grace and His strength to become people of much prayer at every level in our personal lives, in our homes, in our church, in our city and beyond. So Holy Spirit, I just invite you to come. Will you confirm the message with great and wonderful things being released in the future? Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Help us not to forget what you've spoken to us today. We know, Lord, the message is not something that changes our life. It's our response to it that changes our lives forever. So I pray for a wonderful response from your precious people here today. That as they respond, things will be triggered in their future. And they will never be the same again. Things will happen. Miracles will happen in their lives, in their family, in the churches, and in the city of hell. The whole atmosphere will be changed through much prayer.